Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to the Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Forced out of an unhappy home at a young age, Dana Diaz swore to make it on her own and never fall victim to the same abuse she witnessed growing up. But that's before she falls for Darren. It doesn't take long, however, for Dana to meet the darker version of Darren, a narcissist who seeks to control Dana in every way. Despite her best efforts, she is caught in the cycle of trauma once again. In her book, Gasping for Air, Dana invites readers along on her odyssey of healing and empowerment as she breaks free from the grasp of her 25-year-long abusive relationship. She fearlessly delves into old wounds to reveal the truth behind a lifetime of lies and stitches them closed as a new and resilient woman. Dana shares her inspiring true story with us as she exposes the raw truth of emotional, psychological and physical trauma and is a bold testament of survival. Trigger warning This episode discusses domestic and family violence issues, which some people might find disturbing. If you or someone you know is impacted, help is available. Speak to someone today. Here in Australia, 1800RESPECT is available 24 hours a day on 1800 737 732. Welcome, Dana, to the Ethical Evolution. Thank you. Now, uh, I'm so excited to have you with me today. You're joining me all the way from Illinois or near Illinois in Chicago. Um, For those people who don't know who you are and what you do, can you go ahead and tell us? Yeah, absolutely. I am just a normal person who went through uh, some terrible things in my life and I decided to 
make some lemonade out of lemons and write a book about it. Um, it's about narcissistic abuse. Um, the book that I released is called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. And it's about my 25 year long um, relationship with my ex-husband um, and basically takes you right from the beginning when he literally walked into my life all the way to the end, um, even after the divorce, um, when things actually escalated. Um, but during that time and where the title comes from is that the things that he was doing to me, even though most people would consider it maybe bullying or manipulation, verbal abuse, emotional abuse and such, it affected my body so much that I ended up becoming autoimmune and also developing a lung disease, which is where you hear the raspiness in my voice. Um, and the disease I have is very rare, but it's common among victims of abuse because of living in fight or flight for so long and having you know outrageous levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone pumped through your body. Um, so what I have, the doctor says, is like having COPD, which is a lung disease and fibromyalgia all at the same time. So um, I just decided I have a degree in journalism and psychology, and um, it's kind of funny how things work out. I just decided, you know what, let me use my gifts and reach out to people and let them know really what can happen if you remain in those situations and also to let people know that there is another side of it and that, you know, if you are able to get out of your situation safely and you choose to do so and you're open to love and you're open to life, you you can still live a beautiful, beautiful life regardless of what happened to you. Mm. And one thing uh, I love about you, Dana, and, and so many guests on this show is you've taken pain and you've turned it into purpose. So, you know, you're now trying to help others see through that darkness of what is narcissism. But before we um, move on, I do want to actually just drop a trigger warning here for anyone who is listening and, and might feel a little triggered by what we're about to talk about. Um, it does border on uh, domestic and family violence. So I think um, just, you know, if you do need to take a moment, now's the time for you to step aside if if you don't want to jump into that conversation. Now, Dana, there's a lot to unpack here uh, in terms of yes. um, what's in your book and what you experienced. Um, <clears throat> but for those people who are in a relationship and have, they don't even necessarily have need needed to be in one for a long time, how can they spot the signs of a narcissist? Well, there's lots of signs. And the problem is, is that there are so many different types of narcissists that even though I was raised by one, and then I married one. I still, I, I mean, I'm on my third book that I'm writing because I, I encountered yet another one that just, you would think after 47 years of experience, I would spot them a mile away. But um, it's very difficult because there are people that can have narcissistic qualities, but not be narcissists. Or there are narcissists that aren't hurting anybody with it. They just have very very healthy views of themselves, uh, overinflated egos for sure, but they're not bothering anybody. So I want to be clear that when, when I'm talking today from my experience, I am talking about abusive narcissists or what people like to call malignant narcissists, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, people that are intentionally trying to harm you so that they feel whatever 
um, level of importance or superiority uh, that they want over you. Red flags, though, what's what tends to be common in a lot of them, you know, again, is just what I said. They have a very, very deep-seated need to feel important. So you might have the arrogant and overt narcissist that, you know, they know everything and they are everything, but they need to feel that down to what my ex-husband is, is a covert narcissist, um, which I always liken to the character Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You know, I think he's a donkey that he always has his shoulders slumped and poor me, nothing good ever happens to me. You wouldn't consider that a narcissist, but when they manipulate you and manipulate situations so that they feel elevated in some way and better in some way than you and everybody else, that's still a narcissist. Um, a lot of red flags also come up with money. Money and status are very important, but the financial abuse can get um, pretty outrageous. Um, they like status symbols. They like to drive cars that have you know, really expensive cars, even if it's 20 years old, if it has that emblem on it that says it's a Mercedes or it's a Land Rover or whatever, you know, you would consider a very, uh, you know, high esteemed car. Um, they like to wear the the watches, They their appearance. They like to appear, you know, as if they have money, they have name brand clothing. Um, some of them get very involved in their appearance, not all of them, but, you know, anything to if you ever sense somebody that even that they put on a show, maybe that they're one way in front of other people and a different way with you or at home or behind closed doors, so to speak, um, that duplicitous nature is very, very, very common with them. Um, you know, there's all these different things. You know, I have a quiz on my website, but even that is just so... Uh, it's so limiting because we could talk endlessly there. People do decades of research. But the biggest thing that I say, if somebody wants to ask the more important question is, am I in an abusive or toxic relationship? My question to that is, do you feel fearful? Mm -hmm. Are you ever afraid to say something? Are you ever afraid to do something? Are you ever afraid to wear a certain outfit or shirt or dress or, you know, I had a situation with a lipstick, <laughs> you know, simple, normal things in life. If you have any fear at all um, that there's going to be some consequence or backlash from saying, doing, wearing, whatever, you are likely in an abusive relationship, um, likely with a narcissist. But, you know, no matter if it's a narcissist or not, if you are in an abusive relationship, you need to be aware of that and you need to make a choice of whether you want to continue with that. Yeah, um, you made me <laughs> go back into my memory of uh, some previous relationships and go, mm, tick, tick. Right, um, right. And, and yeah, like I, I, I know for me it was like there were certain people I couldn't talk to anymore. There were yes. certain places I couldn't go, certain things I couldn't do because, you know, they would see it as as me not wanting to be with them or, you know, those yes. kind of things or, you know, they it would just end in a fight. It would end in something awful. Yes. And in the end I would just change my behaviour so that those things didn't act out anymore. Right. And then even after that relationship ended, I found myself still in those habits. I'm like, hang on a minute. Hey, you don't have to do that anymore. 
Exactly. I mean, you hit on a very big thing and that is that it's all about control and manipulation for them to control you and manipulate you to, to do and say, or, you know, be what they want you to be. That gives them that sense of power that makes them feel so important. And, you know, I, I actually talk extensively about this in the book. I call it the rules. Mm. Um, (laughs) There are unspoken rules that you just learn because you've broken them. There are rules that are made up as you go, just because they don't like something, they decide it's a rule and they will let you know either with a nonverbal behavior, like a glare or, you know, you know, I, grab your arm and pull you aside and whatever it is. Um, There are rules. I I, twice in my former relationship, um, I had notes, wait, what, you know, a a notebook piece of paper. One of them said how to be a good wife. That's what I woke up to one day. And it was a list of all the things that apparently I was failing to do. I still have it to this day. And the thing is that people need to understand they are simple things. I, I I almost could recite the the how to be a good wife letter by heart. It was kiss me when I get home on the lips. You know, it, it was very specific. Um, you know, ask me how my day was. All these little things that normally probably you would do anyway if you were in a loving relationship. But it's like he didn't even give me a chance. And it made me feel, you know, to be told how to be a good wife. It made me feel like I apparently wasn't one. <laughs> and then I need to, to be instructed like a toddler as to how to be one, which just continued to lower my self-esteem and my image of myself and, and deflate any sense of, you know, worthiness or anything that would make me a healthy whole person. But that's what they do is they try to strip you of who you are. They isolate you from family and friends. He didn't like any of my family. Mm. He didn't like any of my friends. He didn't like when I befriended the new neighbors. He didn't like anybody. And it, like you said, it was easier to just not have those relationships than to argue about it and suffer the consequences of leaving, you know, and and going to have coffee or going to a party or whatever. But then there was also the aspect of, you know, as we got further into it, I felt like I was a dog on a leash. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I was on a retractable leash. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> ones where you press the button and the dog has to stop or choke. That's how it felt because if I went to, if the cat ran out of food or the dog needed treats or whatever, oh, or I need milk for dinner or something, I got to run to the store. He would time me. He would text me over and over. How come you're taking so long? Must be a long line. Are you screwing somebody at the store? Did you even go to the store? Are you even there? If I would go to church on Sunday, are you screwing the priest? Who are you meeting there? Why didn't you come home right after? I mean, God forbid if I stopped to talk to the 90-year-old woman that sat behind me, I would be so anxious because I got to get back because, you know, because I don't want to 
you know, I'd get in my car after church most of the time and there were 10 text messages, you know, accusing me of things, calling me names, demeaning me, insulting me. But if I was at home, what was I doing? Nothing. Because he didn't like me reading. He didn't like me on the computer. Couldn't flip through a magazine because I wasn't paying attention to him. Mm. Rules, 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 rules. They were changed as we went. They were made up as we went. And just like you said, when he was gone at the end, it was me and my son. And I don't even remember. I was doing something out of habit. And my son literally looked at me, 17 years old, and he said, Mom, we don't have to do that anymore. And I had to stop and say, oh, oh, you're right. Mm. I don't. I don't have a boss anymore. I don't have an owner, you know, controlling me like a puppet. It's very sad, though, that that they can take a strong-willed and, and independent and educated and, and you know, <sighs> any human and, and just reduce them to that nothingness of just waiting for the next command like a dog. It's mm. awful. Mm. And there's there's a couple of things that I think are deep-seated in, in a narcissist uh, like you've described. And one of those is, is obviously ego. Ego plays a huge yes. part. And secondly, boundaries, there are none, none no. at all. Um, no. Like how did, you, how did you cope with this for so long? You know, <laughs> I think in general in any relationship, let's just take the narcissism and abuse and everything out of it. If you get to a point where you're not feeling that that relationship is for you, you're unhappy, whatever, it's not, you know, it's not always as easy as walking away. You know, maybe you share an apartment or a home with somebody, your families know each other, you have the same friends. If you have children together, um, you know, you have to think of that. And where are you going to move to? Are you financially capable? You know, there's all these things. I know over the years, I had a couple people that saw through the facade and said, what are you still doing with this guy? Mm. When are you going to leave? It's not as easy. Personally, for me, um, how did I cope with it? Exactly as you said, I just learned, I learned the rules. Um, I learned to stay under the radar. I learned, um, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I, I likened myself to a rabbit. Um, if I sensed danger, I stilled myself. I even remember holding my breath, which, you know, I, ironically, the, the breathing thing, it's almost like he didn't want me to breathe because I, of all the breathing issues I've had during and after. But I stilled myself. It was like, I sense danger. I'm going to stop because maybe then he won't see me. If I'm quiet, he won't hear me. If I just don't say or do anything, then he can't be mad at me, you know, <laughs> That's how I lived for so long. And then just keeping things light, um, you know, trying to be positive and trying to be, you know, look the other way and pretend something wasn't said or, or wasn't done. Um, and it's an awful way to be. But that was all done out of that fear, you know, because it was I, I was afraid of what he might do. Now, mind you. I cannot say that he ever made contact with me to call it physical abuse, but there was always the threat mm. of physical abuse. There were times where um, he would 
hold my, me by my neck. And he did this to our son as well. When our son was as young as five and six years old, hold us by our neck and raise his fist. Um, he swung a crowbar at my head once. Um, I ducked in time. Um, you know, there were a lot of holes punched in the wall um, right next to my head. I was, I, I discussed in the book once that I stopped sleeping in the same bed with him because one night I'm sleeping in the middle of the night and he turned and punched with the full force of his fist right next to my head. If he would have made contact with my, he would have bashed my face in. I did not feel safe anywhere near him. But did he make contact? No. He also had a little drawer in the coffee table. He he liked to just lay around and watch TV and drink alcohol. That's all he ever did pretty much for 25 years. But he had a switchblade, a very nasty looking switchblade right there. And, and he would make motion to remind me sometimes that it was there. And that knife, even though it was never held up to me or anything done, it, it was a threat to me. I knew it was there. He made sure I knew it was there. Um, it, you know, all these things. After the divorce, I was rifling through mail one afternoon um, and he let himself into, into my house that I still lived in with our son, walked past me, went to where he had a handgun, walked back down the stairs and out the door, left off the property, drove away. He just wanted to make sure that I knew that he had that gun. So, you know, people think like there's something that happened. It's what happened or what did he do that it was abusive? It wasn't a what happened or what thing happened. It was every single day. It was the rules, the comments, the demeaning, the insulting me, stripping me of any independent thought or or desire or my basic wants and needs withholding um even just acknowledgement he he would do actually my stepfather did this too you want to talk about another narcissist that's book two that's in publishing now but <laughs> the silent treatment <clears throat> days sometimes three or four weeks it doesn't sound, I, I know people do it all the time now, this ghosting. It's not okay to live with a human being and ignore them for that amount of time, to see through them, to not look at them, to not respond to them, to act like they're not there. You want to talk about feeling insignificant? Um, it, it, it's awful. It mm. really messes with your mind. Um so it's very difficult to get through a relationship like that. Um, I can't tell anybody necessarily how they should do it. I did it, like I said, by just stilling myself in every way, avoiding everything that I knew would trigger him to, because everything was somehow my fault, even if it wasn't, I was the ultimate scapegoat. So I just made sure to, like I said, stay under the radar. I was quiet. I was silent as much as I could be. I tried not to move if I sensed something was going to happen. And I just avoided him altogether, which isn't a way um, to live with somebody, especially a spouse. Mm. And you mentioned that, you know, there was no no physical contact um, in terms of abuse, but Sometimes it's the the non-physical, so the emotional and the yeah. the verbal, which is sometimes worse because it's a psychological yeah. trip, right? You know, um, they will 
get at the very core of you and pull it apart and make you lose, and this is where gaslighting comes in as well, is, you know, they make you lose your own identity and on the other side of it, when you get out of it, it's like, well, who am I now? And you need to find yourself all over again. Literally. Mm. And and that was probably, that was difficult. You know, at, once he, well, and here was the irony, just so everyone knows at the end, I had actually spoken to an attorney. I, I had to, for, for my health, I needed to just be done. Um, but he sensed it. And I came home in the middle of the afternoon <laughs> one day from work and noticed there were, you know, knickknacks and pictures, just random things missing off the wall or on shelves. And then I passed the master bedroom and saw the sheets and pillows, everything gone. I went to his closet, all his clothes are gone. He left me because he's a narcissist. He couldn't let everybody think that I left him, you know, because then that would mean something's wrong with him. He left me and went out and told everybody all kinds of lies, you know, that I was harassing him and I was just mean and cruel and awful, you know, (laughs) that he had to leave me because he could not be left. But after he left, even that day, relief. I felt unbelievable relief. However, I did not know how to be without him directing me. Mm. 40 some years old. People just assume, you know, you have a favorite color, you have a favorite flavor of ice cream, you have a favorite food. Well, I wasn't allowed to have anything favorite. I couldn't sing a favorite song because, you know, a a whore sings that song. Why am I listening to this? Why am I doing that? (laughs) I had to start with the basics of, wow, what do I even want to wear tomorrow? What do I want? Like that night, I remember thinking, wow, I get to decide what I want to eat for dinner. Like I was excited about that because with him, it had to be a meat, but we couldn't have the same type of meat on any consecutive nights. And there had to be two sides to each meal, but like I couldn't have two carbohydrates or like two protein, you know, there were, (laughs) so I, I got to decide and I don't even remember what I ate. It was probably a pint of ice cream or something. Cause I said, wow, I can, I can, I can choose. (laughs) And it's, again, it sounds silly and we're laughing, but that's how much they take away from you. Mm. I was able to wear that lipstick that I had mistakenly put on, you know, to, for Christmas, you know, that was a little too red and, and, you know, he was always calling me a whore, but, you know, it just, I was able to wear whatever lipstick I wanted and whatever shirt I wanted and whatever pants I wanted. And it's such simple stuff, but that is also how I found who I was again. I could play the music I wanted to at home and I can sing to it now and and I can bake things that I like, but I hadn't baked them for 20 years because he didn't like them and he didn't like the smell of them if I made them. And I could exercise, I could do yoga because, you know, he told me our floors in our house, our wood floors were not made, you know, for yoga and for stretching and exercising, you know, all these dumb things, but he had to control me down to the minute details of things. And if he could have a rule that would prevent me from any joy or happiness, that was a rule. 
And look, I'm standing on floors now and, and you know, I can stretch and move and they're still there. It's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. And, you know, it's funny. There's something about self-confidence in someone like that. They virtually have none because yeah. they're, they're, they're projecting their insecurities on you and then their way of confidence is controlling you. And exactly. it is it is the most... Wow, it, like I can't even find words for it. It just blows my mind that someone can do this to to someone to to a degree that it physically manifests in illness. Exactly. And, and that's why I think it's so important. You know, I think we've all heard the saying that stress can kill you. Mm. I never realized it until I got sick and I knew something was very wrong. I mean, at, at the height of things, um, you know, as far as when I was just, I, I was at my end with him. I didn't know how I could get through one more day with him, but I was also so sickly. I knew something was wrong. Within a two week period, I dropped 15 pounds. I was down to 93 pounds. I was skeletal. I was never big. I've always been small, but to drop 15 pounds in two weeks for no other reason. And let me be clear you know, that yes, I love pizza. I love ice cream. I'm a normal human being. I, it wasn't because I was eating cucumbers or anything silly for, (laughs) you know, I, I, there is no reason that I should have been 93 pounds skeletal and my body. I, I remember after test, after test, after test, and the doctor finally sat me down and said, your body's shutting down. Your body is shutting down Your body thinks that the cortisol that is pumping through you is some foreign virus that it needs to eradicate. My white blood cell counts, you know, dropped tremendously because they couldn't even keep up with the rate that they were fighting against the cortisol and the cortisol was killing them. Then my red blood cell count dropped and everything dropped. My heart rate, they were talking about a stent to help my heart beat. My muscles, I was moving like a a hundred year old lady. It was just exhausting. I couldn't breathe. I was having blurry vision. I was blacking out constantly. My arms would go numb because I would have no blood flow. My hands, could I couldn't even tear toilet paper off the roll to wipe in the bathroom myself. <laughs> Early 40s. And I'm thinking that this, all this, like I, I'm, I mean, To say it's debilitating is an understatement. Mm. I would have never thought that somebody's words and actions and even their nonverbal communication could do this, but it's cruel and it's intentional, which is the worst part. Mm. Now, Dana, you mentioned that that your ex-husband was not the only person that's been a narcissist in your life. You were raised by one and your your stepfather's one. And so, you know, as we're raised, you know, we get to accept well we we accept sometimes these behaviors that are part of our life and we think that they're normal you know we don't think there's anything wrong with them because we don't know any different I mean how do you break that cycle of knowing what a narcissist is and stopping them and actually changing that relationship and I know sometimes the only way you can do it is walk away from them it's the only way you can break that bond. But 
surely there has to be some, there's some people you can't avoid in your life right like like parents right. family well but, that's the thing yeah uh, you know because I what my so my mother I was a teenage pregnancy I was not wanted and it's no secret in the family that um you know even my mother when I was born did not want me um but she married you know, who has been her husband 40 years now. He's the man who, he is the narcissist that raised me. Um, But she looked the other way. Um, She, you know, gaslit me. I didn't have this verbiage though, as a little, little girl, I, I will say this. I knew I never liked him as far back as I can remember, very young, five, six years old. I never liked him. I knew there was something that I couldn't put my finger on. But again, I was a small child. I didn't, I don't know what a narcissist is. I barely know right from wrong, Mm. but I knew I didn't like him there. You know, talk about duplicitous. It was that, you know, around everyone else, he was smiling and put his arm around me. You know what he did to me at home to the little, little girl that I was, he would tell me almost every single day, nobody ever wanted you. Nobody's ever going to love you. You shouldn't even be here. You're a burden. I shouldn't have to pay for another man's child. I shouldn't have to pay for you at all. Every single day. And he was physically abusive. So then I had to go to school with marks on my body and hand marks on my neck and bruises. Um, You know, I have this long hair, always have. He would grab me by the back of my head, bang my head against the wall. I tried to call for help once. I think maybe I was... 11, 12 years old, maybe 13. I tried grabbed the phone, tried to call for help. Um, and he took the phone and, and, and banged me on the head with it. Um, it, it was awful. But like you said, what was I going to do? I was a minor. I couldn't leave. I tried telling the authorities and, um, my mother and stepfather showed up at the police station. Um, child and family services was involved and they told, all the authorities that I was mentally disturbed (laughs) and that I was making it all up and that I self-inflicted all these wounds on my body. And I got put away in a juvenile hospital for mental, you know, mentally disturbed children. That's what they did to me. And, um, you know, even the nurses and doctors there knew there was, you know, I was okay. I, I was obviously struggling with what they were doing to me at home, but I wanted as much as I didn't want to stay there. I didn't want them to release me back to my mother and stepfather, but they showed up for a little counseling sessions. And, you know, I, I wrote the second book, like I said about all this, but um, hopefully it'll be released by the end of the year, but I liken it to the movie Annie you know, when these imposters are are showing up, you know, and they're sad and and they look so forlorn that they, you know, their daughter was in this orphanage, but they're there to claim her now that that's exactly the scene I see in my head with my own mother and stepfather. And I did get released back to them when the insurance ran out and, and was sent right back home. And you can only imagine the consequences I suffered after that. So I was stuck. You want to say stuck. I was stuck and and terrified (laughs) of what would happen next if they would go to that extreme, Um, you know, and and we don't have contact um, at this point in my life, which is very sad to me. Um, But at the same time, 
mother, father, whoever you are, I'm sorry. If that's the relationship we're going to have, if it's going to be that toxic, I am better off without it. You know, Mm. I've been fortunate that there have been other, you know, women and men even in my life, you know, that have been, you know, whether you want to call them mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, they're not biologically related. Um, They have no obligation to me but they actually do care about me and love me and, and have filled in those voids. And, you know, even my grandmother actually has taken a very mother role and my godmother. So, you know, it, it's awful, but, you know, again, I just need people to understand that no matter what the circumstance, even if you get stuck in that, the time will pass. And if you can, make a plan and make a choice, you know, to do something um, to prevent that from happening to you again, you know, certainly do that because it doesn't have to be that way. And nobody deserves to endure that kind of a treatment. And I don't care. People say that's your blood. That's your blood. Yes, that is my blood. I'm also their blood though. And if they're going to treat me that way, I don't need to involve mm-hmm. myself with that. So I, I, I'm sorry to say blood or not, that doesn't resonate with me at all. Nobody deserves to be mistreated. Yeah. And there comes a time when your own self-preservation is is a far greater importance than than blood and family exactly. connection sometimes, you know, like it's a, it's a really a matter of survival. Uh, yes. And, you know, I... <laughs> Tell us about your relationships now. So uh, as, as far as I understand it, you've remarried. Uh, you're in a, another relationship. I'm hoping it's far better than the last one. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because after my, you know, I think a lot of people that have been through the kind of previous marriage that I was in, I was I was done. My son was graduating high school. He was going off the entire way across the country to go to school. Um, And he, he expected to stay out West and maybe get a job out there. So I thought, okay, then I'm going to move to, I'm going to move far out of state. I'm going to go down. Maybe I'll get a place in the Caribbean. My, you know, I have family still in Puerto Rico. I love the Island, but I'm getting out of here. I just want a fresh start. I don't want to be in a relationship. I need to take care of me. It's Dana time, you know, and, (laughs) there's somebody, well, he's my husband now. I had known his family probably 15 or 16 years. My son to this day is very good friends with some of his nephews. Um, So he's always been there and we always got along very well. But I mean, with the situation I was in, I kind of, I mean, I never, Mm. and nor should you, if you're in, you know, the last thing I needed was another man to deal (laughs) with on top of my husband, you know? So it was just funny that when I actually did determine where I was going and narrowed it down to a place I was going to live and, you know, several states away, and I was even looking for jobs, and I was just going to write my books and do my advocacy um, for victims of abuse and do my thing and just live the rest of my life just by myself and doing good in the world. He just, he he said, We're, we need to take a car ride. I'm, I'm going to take you for a car ride. You know, he has this old, cool car. I said, okay. You know, he, he picked me up, and he was silent. He was dead silent. And I kept looking at him, looking at him. And it finally clicked. I said, I'm not leaving, am I? 
And he just said, (laughs) no words. He just nodded his head. And the thing is, because we were friends and because we already knew each other and our, you know, it just, it just fell into place. I definitely was not wanting it, needing it, looking for it. The timing I felt, I think everybody probably felt was a little fast, but it just works, you know, and people laugh at us because we, we don't argue. We don't, we, we just, but he's my total opposite. You know, he's very quiet. He's very gentle, very patient. I'm a little louder and fiery and, (laughs) but he takes me down a notch. And most importantly, because he's seen what I have been through, he doesn't understand it, but he knows when, I mean, he moves with me as far as my emotions where I might have a day where I'm not feeling like great. You know, I, I, I might be uh, having some thoughts that are bothering me or sad, you know, maybe on the holidays, I do get sad because I'm not invited anywhere. I don't mm. have family or any, you know, a lot of the family um, sided with my mother and stepfather that, I just must be nuts. I don't even get invited to birthdays, funerals. I'm lucky if I even know somebody passed away. So it gets very lonely and it, and it gets sad sometimes, but he's always there. He's always there and and um, patient and supportive. All, just he's so good to me. He's mm. so good to me, but he's exactly what I need. Um, I just never saw it, it until it just happened. But again, yeah, it, it's good. Life mm. is good. You know, I moved into his house. He has a beautiful place in, in, in the middle of nowhere on 25 acres. And, you know, he's just so sweet. He knows I love the beach. He he had sand brought <laughs> <laughs> to the property, you know, last summer and or was it two summers ago? And, you know, so that I could have white sand to walk in, you know, if we couldn't go away to a beach and and he knows if I just need a, a little extra hugging or, you know, he, he just takes such good care of me. I could go on and on. He's a very good person, but we were friends and now we're more than friends, but it's great. It's it's so good to be in a relationship where somebody actually likes me and respects me and supports me. And I feel the same for him. We actually want good things for each other. and And that is a new normal that I'm still getting used to. Mm. And uh, I guess it's the the Cinderella ending I'd, I'd always want for you, Dana. Um, and I'm so glad that that you've reached this point. And uh, one thing that was in the back of my mind is that no doubt it takes a strong man to be with a woman who's been through what you've been through. Uh, because yeah, and, and not only that, but to write a book about it and to be on podcasts, you know, sometimes multiple times a day and be doing speaking engagements mm. and book signings where I always have one foot in that relationship. And in the past, it, I thank him every day for that, but mm. he supports it and he knows how important it is that people hear the story and, and hear, you know, what could potentially be in their future or what to look out for. Mm. Well, please thank him from all of us because yeah. <laughs> um, there needs to be more men like him in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and we are yes. so glad that you've you've found that point. Now, Dana, if people want to grab the book and actually read the story yes. Um, yes. that you've uh, sort of, uh, you know, 
outline for us today. Uh, where can they go? You can go to Amazon. Um, it's called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse by Dana S. Diaz. You can also go to my website, which is danasdiaz.com. Um, right there on the, the homepage, you'll see the link to buy the book. And I also have a blog, um, podcasts that have been released um, that I've been on will also be on there. There's a quiz to determine if you're in a narcissistic um, abusive relationship. Um, but yes, there's the ebook, there's the print book. Um, they're very affordable. Um, and I, I do absolutely encourage people to reach out to me as well, whether it's through my website or social media. I'm on Facebook, um, TikTok, Instagram. I do respond personally to any and every message or comment on any post. Um, I want people to know that I'm available to them. Um, as much as I can be, I I just want to make sure everybody feels heard and feels validated, um, you know, for whatever experience that they're having. And, uh, you know, the final question for you, Dana, what's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Honestly, I feel very strongly. It's very simple. Just be nice to be, be kind, mm. be kind. If you're kind to your children... <clears throat> They're going to go out in the world and be kind when they're at school to the other children and to their teachers. And, and, and it resonates with you as well. You're, you're good to your kids. Or if you don't have kids, just be kind to the person you're with, your roommate, your mother, your grandmother, whoever. Just be nice. Just be nice. People are so nasty and so self-absorbed. And if they stopped for one second to think about each other, imagine the domino effect of kindness that if it starts in the home, what it can do in the workplace, and then, you know, on the societal levels of community, state, country. I mean, it sounds so idealistic to think we could never again have a war, but kindness, people stopped loving themselves and it made them stop loving each other or even having respect for human life. We just need to be nice. Mm, yeah and kindness it's one of those things when it's shared it's doubled so let's double down on that because yeah and it's free absolutely (laughs) absolutely it's easy (laughs) Dana look I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us today Uh, and I know it's been hard but thank you so much for digging deep and sharing that with us Uh, it really means a lot so thank you so much for being a part of the ethical evolution I appreciate you having me on thank you Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives 
one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.